So she's been, we've been together ever since that period where I was getting into like starting to focus on downhill racing. I did that for a few years and she traveled with me to races and things. Um, and just long story short there, uh, I found I was not the best version of myself at races and I was really stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot about it that I didn't handle well, mm-hmm. uh, I guess emotionally. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to kind of just pull out of that yeah. and, and just go back to just riding bikes Welcome because I love riding bikes. Welcome to the Overcome Cafe, Tales of Mind, Body and Relationship, the podcast centered on driven people and how we can help their better manage those three arenas we just said earlier the mind the body and the relationships i'm your host lp landry and this week's guest is matt search matt is a cyclist and is such a great person to talk to he's that type of person where you start talking for five minutes with him and you end up like three hours later still talking in deep subjects and you kind of want to just absorbed all the knowledge he wants to share with you. So this is a great tale of how he got into cycling and how relationships actually in this experience plays a huge role on the cyclist he is today. So hang on guys, this is a great treat. And I decided to name this episode the prequel to a collaboration part one. Cause yeah, like I said, Matt loves to talk and I love to talk. Uh, so I decided to actually invite him and he accepted our invitation to join us for an extended period of time. So welcome to the prequel to a collaboration part one with Matt Search. So I turned on the machine. So I'll just confess to everyone online. I turned on the machine. I had Matt speak for 15 minutes, got to know Matt a little bit better. But yeah. unfortunately, we I didn't press record. So that's on me. That'll be my first vulnerability moment that everyone gets to <laughs> laugh at. But Matt is giving me a great sport. So we'll start with the, the mountain biking and hockey. I, okay. I love that. And well, everything like you can start yeah. from the sure. past if you want to. Okay. So, so I would, you know, we're talking about the past here. So I, I tried to frame that up and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to this. Uh, a distinction between, you know, an early phase of life for me growing up in Ottawa, uh, being obsessed with hockey yes. and all things hockey uh, in, in an era when uh, there were no Ottawa centers. There was yeah. the Toronto Maple Leafs. There was the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. The Nordiques out of Quebec. So, yes. Uh, I was an Anglo kid. Um, my mother's American, uh, so I'm quite quite Anglo, and, uh, <laughs> and, and identify with Toronto Maple Leafs. That yes. was my team. All about them. All yes. about hockey. And uh, who was your favorite player back then? Well, so I was into goaltending uh, yeah. primarily. So yeah. actually, uh, my favorite player was Alan Bester, <laughs> who is a very obscure yes. uh, goalie who was pretty yeah. acrobatic. Yeah. And um, I, I was a, I was a big fan. Most people don't know him unless they're a fairly hardcore hockey fan. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. yeah, growing up Montreal Canadian fan, I, I'm aware. Oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. People know. People who were paying attention, yeah, they know. Yeah. Um, so he was a great goalie. That's true. He was. He he had he had a pretty pretty good glove hand. Yeah. And uh, I think this is illuminative for myself as an adult now. Yeah. I look at like what was I into and why and what are the sort of like the common themes and threads. Um, I think I like a little bit of flair and mm, style yeah. in, in sport. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, you know, in, in others, uh, that's what I sort of appreciate in others and, and in myself. I don't really like, uh, 
uh, a robotic approach to performance. No. Uh, so Bester was very uh, flamboyant, you could say. He had to be. He was very small. Yeah. Um, and I even used to draw. Uh, I used to draw uh, goaltenders like action uh, nice. um, uh, drawings and things. And so he 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 was one of my subjects. Um, so before <laughs> so cool <laughs> before ten years old. I wanted to play hockey really bad. Yeah. Um, my my dad's approach was, and I was living uh, with my dad, and my stepmother, and my mom uh, was living uh, also in Ottawa. So there's they were divorced. Um, and he said to me, you know, you can play when it's clear that you're really committed to this, and you've been bugging me for a while. Okay. That was his approach. Okay. Which which I understand as a parent, I understand. Um, so by ten, he said, okay, yeah, I think you're actually committed to this idea. Let's yeah. let's sign you up. I started playing goalie. I played for uh, a couple of years, two, three years, I guess, goalie from house league to competitive. Yep. Um, then I you know, tried out for the, the higher level team and got on there and continued on and did that for another year or two before transitioning out of goaltending uh, to become what I thought would be a left winger. Yeah. Uh, what was actually a defenseman. Uh, really? Uh, because, uh, I, well, my coaches were, were actually running a camp I did in summer one year, yeah. which I rode to with my gear on my back, my back <laughs> on my bike. And uh, <laughs> I did that a couple of years at uh, yeah. summer camps. And um, So the bike back then was uh, a means to an end. The, the bike was integral. And, and yeah, I, I'll cover that. that mm -hmm. That's a big deal, I think. Um, so my coaches, they, yeah, I, I did pretty well as a left winger. I played outdoor hockey massively, um, okay. right? Like every, every hour possible in a wow. week I played outside wow. and froze my feet uh, every day. And, um, they, they identified that I was on the biggest side and had a pretty solid slap shot because wow. I practiced that like crazy. Um, yeah, there's a lot of threads here. Yeah. And, uh, and so they ended up deciding that, you know, when I tried out for our, our team that they would put me on defense. So I spent, you know, the rest of my quote, uh, hockey career playing defense and trying to crush people. Yeah. Uh, no joke. Um, which is a wow. very interesting dynamic, uh, and scored a few goals. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It went really differently. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so instead of scoring the 40, 40 some goals, you're scoring 15, maybe 10, well, maybe 15 over a couple of years. Yeah. But yeah. It was kind of a big deal to score as a defenseman. Right? Oh yeah. yeah totally. Very common. But I mean, your, your metrics there, my metrics at the time were more like, um, what big sort of moves can I do to, to make an impact, you know, more on the defensive yeah. side. And one of those metrics is like, how can I crush other players sufficiently? Yeah. Like flay them out yeah um which is how old were you at that point so that was like that period was probably 14 15 16 yeah 14 15 16 those three years probably okay yeah and when like as players you're on the bigger side now yeah. and on the stronger side yeah so you can definitely hurt people and get hurt yeah um so you know okay that was that was unfolding with the hockey but concurrently um since about 12 years old I got into riding bikes in a different way. So the basis was the neighborhood I lived in, in old Ottawa um, South, or uh, sorry, uh, not old, but Ottawa South, um, was relatively spread out. Okay. Like it was kind of a, an old suburb, really. Yeah. 
And there were a few critical sort of um, places that are, my friends and I spent time playing sports and everything through summer. Yeah. And the RA center was one of those places. Nice. Um, so we would go to the pool, um, you know, all the time, especially in those early, like those adolescent years, go to the pool in the summer. Uh, and, uh, and then it became playing beach volleyball. Nice. Like so once, once I was in high school, I started playing volleyball on the team and played through five years. And then we played beach on, in the summer. Yeah. So I had a crap, I had a bike, I had a banana bike, yeah. um, which a lot of people of our generation will know. Banana yeah. Bike. That was my, my first, fir- my first bike, my first bike as well. Yeah. With a blue banana brake. bike. Mine was green. Yeah. Metal flake green. And I broke the handlebars. Yeah. I broke the fork. Me too. Yeah. I broke the seat because I was jumping it because I wanted to have a BMX. Yeah. And we watched the movie BMX Rad. Oh, yes. And then, yes. You know, didn't have a BMX. Had a banana <laughs> bike. Um, so <laughs> I rode that bike in the city. I rode that bike. My dad and my stepmother had a place outside Perth with dirt roads. So yeah. I rode that and explored wherever I could. That The next bike was a pretty crappy department store mountain bike mm-hmm. um, that looked like a mountain bike was, was not at all appropriate for that. Yeah. And so that was used for getting everywhere with friends. Yeah. So when my bike was broken or confiscated, which was a punishment, <laughs> it was the worst punishment I could get. Oh, yeah. It happened more often. You just lose freedom right there. Yeah. No bike. No bike for a week. Now I have to run everywhere. Wow. I have to run. So my brother's going to ride his bike to go to the park, go to the mm. RA. Uh, or wherever, and I got to run or get a dub. Yes. Get yes. a double ride. If if, he, if he's nice, <laughs> he give me a dub. Um, so I, I mostly be running. Kudos like, to your brother right there. Yeah. Yeah. So he did. He was two years older and strong. So so the bike was just like independence, right? Yeah. Um, from only being allowed to ride on a path right by my house up until a certain point. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. To, okay, now you're allowed to ride a couple blocks now and you can ride wherever you want. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's what I'm doing, right? I'm going to ride wherever I want. So, so around 12 years old, I think it was, um, I heard that there were trails in Gatineau Park. I, I didn't know what Gatineau Park was, but like yeah. something had like a map. Because right? like, Ottawa South to Gatineau yeah. Park, that's a, a good... A good pedal for a kid, yeah. For yeah. a kid, it would you know it's gonna be it's gonna be probably uh, you know eight ish kilometers. Yeah, and so we heard there were trails there, and uh, and a crew of us, maybe five, went one summer. I, I'm pretty so certain good. I was twelve years old, and we rode there, and it was a mission, and we rode on the trails that were what we now would call the prison trails. Yeah, at the the southmost uh, aspect of the park. Yeah. And immediately I was like, wow, this is phenomenal. Because I've been riding little stuff that you could find yeah. in the neighborhood. Um, but now there's a bunch of it. And it was so fun. <laughs> I was hooked immediately. So we did this ride. And I remember somebody's bike broke. And we dealt with it or whatever with like our fingers, I guess. And um, made it back home. And then I was immediately trying to get guys to go with yeah. me again. Let's yeah, go yeah. again. And nobody else was really into it. Really? So, so my brother went with me, I think, uh, maybe once or twice more that summer. He, he was working a job, a okay. summer job. The next year, and so I, I think this is at 13, it was a similar thing where like nobody really wanted to go. Uh, <laughs> so I would just go. And my brother would go sometimes. So I was riding to Gatineau Park and doing mountain bike rides by myself, yes. breaking my bike. Uh, walking home from Gatineau Park with a broken steer or two. Oh, yeah. And walking by the X, the X at Lansdowne one day while my friends were in there because yep. I was supposed to be back and go. Okay. And instead I was walking four hours back home. Oh. Carrying my bike. So yeah. that's, that's the, it's more than a walk of shame. That's like, yeah, yeah your friends are, Epic. 
Oh wow, that's yeah. an epic walk back home right it, there. It felt really epic. Yeah, um, and, but, then, and it and it was it like was. in the younger years in our lives. Yeah, those events. Yeah, they forge character. They do. They do, and and it and I. There's no question for me. Like I was putting myself in situations where I was going to have to deal with the the problem. Yeah. Uh, or I was going to sleep in the woods. That's it. That's it. That's it's it. really that simple. <laughs> There's nobody. I have, there are no cell phones. Yeah. There's nobody to call. No. Nobody's going to come bail me out. I have to figure this out. And there were many, many, many occasions where I thought I might be sleeping in the woods tonight. Oh, wow. Uh, how am I going to do that? Yeah. And I was in scouts as a kid and, and I had like I was into that yeah. kind of thing. Like I kind of knew. You know, I had matches yeah. in my, <laughs> my fan pack, you know, I <laughs> like I had stuff. So always prepared yeah, right I was there. as prepared as I could be. For a kid, age, that's huge. For a kid. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, adventuring, right? Getting out there. And and so the, the sort of trajectory of, of developing through mountain biking uh, and my brother and me getting all the magazines, like subscriptions mm. that we could yeah. and reading every single word of every single page, right? That was developing and I was still playing hockey, but on that trajectory, um, you know, my, my, my co-players, my teammates were becoming increasingly interested in other things Yeah. Uh, because we were playing not at the absolute highest level. So everybody on some level probably knew they weren't going to become professional. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. Weren't. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, kind of waning. And uh, we lost a lot. And uh, probably girls at that point. That's right. I think cars, those things, the, exactly. the adolescent things there. Well, all the normal things. Yeah, yeah. All the normal things. And I felt, uh, you know, um, we have a gap here in coaching. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know how to get better. Yeah. This was an issue for me. Mm. Uh, I know we're losing a lot. I yeah. don't really know how to contribute more. Yeah. Like I, tr- I put in every effort I can. I play hours and hours outside. I do all the things I can think I can do, mm. uh, but there are gaps. Yeah, and uh, and I feel like we're kind of just like starting to waste our time here. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, with mountain biking, the development curve was, you know, expansive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like relatively steep curve, I guess. Yeah. But also expansive because you can see, wow, there are some skills and and abilities being being you know that's uh, it uh, d- developed you know in the professional ranks that that I can aspire to. And in order for me to go from where I am today to there, yeah. I don't really need anybody to drive me anywhere, per nope. se, like hockey. Yeah, that's it. You know? You're less dependent on other people. Right. It and, felt that And way. I do ther- therapy the same way in the sense like I like to provide guideposts. Yeah. And people get to them when they get to them. And it's exactly what you're describing right there. It, it, we're losing guideposts. We don't have a reference yeah. as to what I can be next. In yeah. hockey, and then you can go in mountain biking, and it's like, actually, I can do this by myself. I can go in the woods, get lost, have matches, and survive. <laughs> and that, oh, look at the picture. Yeah. That guy is ripping. Yeah. That guy's doing something, and I want to do it as well. Yeah. I'm guessing. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. of course. No, I, th- I think it, it felt pretty um, open. You yeah. know, like there's different ways you can go. There's different disciplines. There's different types of rider, mm. you know, and it, it kind of felt like, you know, however much I put into this, I'm going to get out of this. Because in the early development phase with, with cycling, the more you ride and the harder you ride, the fitter you get yeah. for a while. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Right? And then the, the, rep, the repetition of skill um, development, like of, of just sheer reps of doing a particular movement, skill, whatever it is, 
that's how I had trained in hockey. I didn't call it training. I call it practicing, but like I used to be in the basement in our place in, in Perth, which was kind of open concrete. Yeah. And I would do, uh, I wouldn't go for dinner until I did a hundred uh, sh- shots or wow. I wouldn't go for dinner until I hit the crossbar 10 times. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Yeah. Those were the kinds of little challenges I like to set for myself uh, because I, uh, well, I liked what I was doing exactly. and I wanted to gamify it exactly. on my own. That's it. And so with cycling, it was similar. Like I would, okay, I'm going to do uh, 10 bunny hops and clear the thing and not touch it. And I'm going to do wheelies and ma- and then later manuals. Like I spent hours outside our yes. place in center town, my mom's, uh, 10 o'clock at night with my brothers there on the porch sitting and I'm doing wheelies on the street. Yeah. That's how I learned a wheelie yeah. from t- tens and tens and hundreds of hours of <laughs> doing wheelies on idle time. Oh man. Right. That's, that was kind of the mentality, uh, or just the default. Almost. I totally relate yeah. to this. Uh, as a teenager, I was a snowboarder and I used to wake up earlier than anyone else. I had built this makeshift jump behind my house would get up at like for a teenager at that point, I'm approximately 14, 15, 16, 17. So all those years, I would not like this key hill only open at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I would wake up yeah. 4.30-ish, 5 o'clock in the morning, grab my snowboard. I would smell like I went to the gym before going to school because I, <laughs> I would snowboard until I had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The stereo- stereotypical mom, come in, come inside, have breakfast. And she would call me in. Because I would love that so much. I would get up and yeah. just grab my snowboard. And same thing, we were relating to this earlier in the yeah. lost tape, which I'll call from now, yeah. the lost tape with Matt Search. But we are, we're talking about the moment where you sort of earn your money to buy that first bike. I remember I related to this. I used to dig up worms, five cent the worm, a full summer, get up at early in the morning to buy that first snowboard. Yeah. That was the best. It, oh, yeah. it was a crappy snowboard, I have to admit. Crappy snowboard, but still I could do pro things now. Yeah. Yeah. I, as you're saying <laughs> that, it makes, it reminds me like as a, so I have two kids. I have a 16 year old daughter and a 10 year old son. And um, I, I have tendencies towards sort of, somewhat harsh parenting mm. techniques you know, mm-hmm. style and it's it's because i relate their reality to my reality yeah uh you know i don't have any training on parenting yeah uh, i've read a few things yeah I, I, you know i i'm self-reflexive you know reflective. Yeah. um but i relate their experience to mine and try to, to like i i have a valence of like well what i went through as a kid some of it the good the bad and the ugly you know a lot of it was productive in positive ways. Yes. And character building. And and I have an anxiety, you could say, or a fear that my that my kids will actually miss out on character development that's key to them. Yeah. Um, because of a, a lack of challenge. And this is the thing I, I get to do. I'm cutting you off. Yeah. I'm sorry. But it's the thing I get to do as well because... I am a driven person. I'm a driven person. That's for sure. That's why the podcast yeah. got star started. It's sitting down, whichever arena you're in. If you're a driven person, I sent you an email. Yeah, I've asked you to come here. So that I was studying Mad Search a little bit before I sent you an email and inviting you because I was going to yeah. talk to this population. 
that people who are driven in it. And I think you are a driven person. So it's tough for driven people sometimes to use um, empathy and and value empathy uh, with our children, our close ones, because we get stuff done. So there's the basic assumption that if I can do it, everyone can. The overgeneralization part of it. So then we transpose our own past to the children. Yeah. I'm nodding. If we were on video, people would see a lot of nodding. Yeah. Um, When when you asked, like, initial question in the Lost Tape was, you know, how do you you sort of um, describe, how would you describe yourself, you know? Yeah. Uh, And and I said, well, it depends on the day. It depends on the the last conversation I had with my my wife, probably. Yeah. Um, So empathy, I have recently characterized myself to, to someone, I forget the, the conversation is, uh, I said, I'm not a very empathetic person. Hmm. You know, like I, I know this. Yeah. I know this now today. I'll give you a gift today. <laughs> if I can. Sure. You are an empathetic person. I'll tell you why. Okay. If it's okay. Yeah, I, I'll clear. build my case first and yeah. then I'll give you the tool today. So you get, so you see it for yourself. Yeah. Because empathy is not only I feel what you feel. Most people give that definition. And the other definition, which is broadly used, is, oh, I imagine being in the shoes of. Mm-hmm. But while we're doing this, it's not necessarily we're, we're working on assumptions. So I remember I used to love an anthropology, uh, cultural relativism, mm-hmm. uh, Margaret Mead. Yeah. So... <laughs> I remember that. I'm like, this is empathy for anthropology. And again, uh, I feel what you feel. So right now we're in this culture of vulnerability, openness, authenticity, which has hit a whole other level with these things, podcasts, mm-hmm. social media, and stuff like that. Yeah. But empathy is a feeling, but it's also cognitive. Yeah. So if you're able to keep the balance between the two, then you have empathy in the middle. Yeah. And you're great at an analyzing. So that's a tool you have. Yeah. You've built on that. So feelings, it's basic. Mad, sad, glad, fear. And yeah. then we do that and we look and if you can imagine, because it's imagination. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's not like this. We use affect to evaluate if our feedback is working. What, what if the person's having a bad day that day? Mm-hmm. What if our child is withholding? Yeah which happens a lot. Like my children, they amaze me, but I have to constantly remember that I am driven in a certain way. They might be driven, but even that dash of drivenness mm-hmm. is not mine. Mm-hmm. It's theirs. Yeah. And I get to be the happy observer of this. So yeah. you're, we've been talking front and back, like yeah. ever since you came in yeah. <laughs> and even on the, on, while meeting you, it's our first meeting today. So yeah. of course it's not like I've known you and I, I get to cheat sheet and use our history together to talk about this. But yeah. I, I see that you are able to take the emotion and analyze it. So you have empathy. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, well, clearly that's a lot of, a lot more nuance, right? Than yes. we tend to deploy. Yes. Um, just in, 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 you know, conversation with friends, colleagues. That's you know, it. Partners. It, it, we kind of have a reductionist sort of approach, right? With yes. these kinds of concepts. 
um, my my wife uh, has a, she has a degree in, in psychology. Yes, uh, it's I love that uh, that that um, you know. There's a reason why people do degrees in psychology. Yeah, there's always. A specific... I would have been a goalie in hockey as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I love Patrick Roy. Yeah, so that, well, that was my can, goalie. I can blame you. Um, <laughs> so my, my, my wife had particular reasons for doing that. And I think, um, you know, the, the cultural sort of era yeah. and, and her, her background shaped, you know, what was sort of sticky for her in psychology. Yeah. Um, and then also what sort of she carried forward into her master's degree, nice. which was in, in communication studies and, uh, and then her PhD, which was in, uh, well, we were in the same program, yeah. Miguel, um, but it was our history communication studies program. So for a master's or a PhD, you come in with one or the other, yeah. it depends on the, the flavor of your, your work. Okay. Um, but she, thank you for that. Yeah. So she was studying ultimately, um, like I, uh, subjectivity, um, and, and animal sort of animal subjectivity. Oh, nice. Um, and, and that was coming from a, uh, sort of compassionate, uh, you could say animal rights perspective, yeah. but more about like, what is our treatment of animals mm. sort of mean for who, who, and what we think we are yeah. as, as a species and as oh, individuals. Like, so we've been the two of us, um, became you know vegan um about 17 years ago uh and way before it was popular there i think so yeah i wouldn't say it was popular it's pre uh, it's pre-supersized me so probably yeah it was it it was still a fringe thing and and you know that's a whole other conversation oh yes yeah um a lot of that came out of for me it was ethical yeah uh, i did a i did a, a a course in in undergrad on environmental ethics and uh i was uh, i was pretty interested in ethics in general because part of what drew me to philosophy was actually the the sense that i didn't have the skills and the tools to handle really difficult um human situations mm-hmm. um that were really sensitive emotionally. So, you know, for example, uh, I've told my kids this story a couple of times because it's one of my most regrettable moments in my life. When I was a kid, I I was babysat by a, by a woman across the street. She had two kids, uh, an older daughter, younger son. They were significantly older than my brother. They were five, six years older than than my brother and me. And, uh, and the daughter had, had some developmental, uh, Mm -hmm. disabilities. Mm. Um, and I was over there one, one day after school. Uh, my babysitter was, was very sad because her brother had died. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I was outside. Uh, the daughter came home. And I said, hi, um, your uncle died. Mm. I told her, I told her your uncle wow. died. Because I knew something yeah. that was like juicy, a juicy information. Yeah. That to my child brain. Yeah. And she went in, she was very upset. And then, you know, now her mom has to deal with the extra, you know, mm-hmm. sadness of being shocked by the kid telling her yada, yada. I got in a lot of trouble for that from, wow. from my, from my dad. Right. It's like, how old were you at that point? Probably six or seven. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. So, you know, that was a, a shameful experience. Mm. I realized after, you know, after getting in trouble, 
that that was really, really uncool. And like, why did I do that? Why, what drove me to do that? Mm. It was some kind of like a little bump, you know, for me to like, Hey, nah, nah, nah. right. Yeah. That's, that's fucked. Like Maybe, that's, but I, in, th- then I'll wear my therapist hat my and I'll, I'll give you the compassion yeah. there. So in my mind, at in time, your mind at that time, of course. So I think that was part of an experience, a part of experience that built over time yeah. where, you know, I, 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 it's usually been around deaths. So people, yeah. people in, in my sphere, you know, having died, it's, it was not somebody ever directly mm-hmm. indirect, like a, a sibling or a yeah. parent, uh, but a little bit uh, further outside that sphere. Uh, and going to weddings and things and like just not knowing how to be, mm-hmm. not knowing the right things to say, mm-hmm. right? Like when cards would go around or whatever, you know, uh, this would be more later. Um, like I didn't want to just say things that mm-hmm. people said. Yeah. I want to say something that matters. Yeah. Uh, they will actually help somebody yeah. in some way totally in this agree. horrible situation to yeah. life. And I thought, you know, I don't really, my, my parents, like there's a great, the story of my parents is insane. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they were born again, Christian. Wow. Uh, so my mom, my mom was actually, so yeah. my mom's parents were converted okay. when my uncle came back from Vietnam. Wow. He was converted by Billy Graham. Wow. They're, so they're American. Uh, they were converted. Their family was in turmoil in yeah. this period with mental illness and all kinds of things. Uh, my mom was brought into that at 12 years old Yeah. and she wasn't buying it. Mm. My dad, uh, was effectively sent from, from Ottawa at 16 to a commune in the U S because his, he was, he was living basically on the street. Okay. Uh, and this commune was born again. Uh, it was crazy town. They were in high school together. That's where my parents met. They got, they escaped effectively. They Mm. ran away to Canada and got married Wow. at uh, 19 years old. Uh, and so you know, they, they had both exposures to different forms of Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, one fairly extreme. They effectively disavowed that. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, I was raised in, in an absence of any kind of, uh, organized religion. Okay. Uh, and, and also kind of, you know, sketchy, weird sort of dynamics around, uh, morality. Like, where does it, what's it? Yeah. Like, yeah. where's, where is this yeah. coming from? Kind yeah. of because two different households yeah. with different sort of codes. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. And so I was in a position where when I learned about this thing called philosophy um, through my wife. Yeah. And that's through an injury. Uh, the, really? Yeah, so the injury, the story there is, uh, <laughs> I feel like I like have so many tangents, but the story there is. <laughs> no worries. No um, worries. I, I, I was, I broke my foot while dirt jumping. This is mountain bike dirt jumping. I, for a period of years, I was, I was really? uh, doing wow. that. That was my primary sort of, uh, mountain bike sort of activity, um, or domain strain. Uh, I broke my foot and, um, it was in a September. I was working at a bike shop at that time. I was out of high school. Okay. I was with my wife. She was in university uh, at Ottawa U, and I w- we had a bachelor apartment. Uh, it was dial-up internet era, um, so like it's basically a non-thing. You can do email. Yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah, we had a lot of books um, because my wife was studying. She was doing communication studies, uh, f- psychology, wow. and a bit of philosophy at, at school. Uh, she proposed a few books to me to read. I had been a big reader as a kid. It was forced upon me. Yeah. I had like required reading hours and stuff. Wow. So I was a big reader as a kid, but then I was out of it significantly as I was working and a young adult. Yeah. Um, Matt, you should read this. So I was reading like Neil Postman, 
for example, cis-cultural, uh, cultural sort of um, cultural studies. Okay. Of, so, right. Okay. So it's uh, overlapping. Yeah. Doing, uh, for, for sure, like sociology, yeah, yeah. cultural uh, sociology. Yeah. So, right. Um, oh, this is interesting. Okay. Um, by the way, at this point, I did, I'd never heard of philosophy, probably. Like, I've heard somebody say, <laughs> oh, it's a philosophical question. Go, okay. Oh, oh, that's a question there's no answer to. Yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. As, as far yeah, as I know. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, the stereotypical uh, thing of philosophy. Yeah. I know, I know. Exactly. I understand. Yeah. So I had very little concept. My parents had never gone to university. Yeah. Um, nobody in my family. Wow. Uh, except for my, my grandfather in the U.S. was a mechanical engineer, and his Whoa. brother was a philosophy professor. Wow. Who I never met. <laughs> Okay, bizarre, right? But like, but also not. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. The, so nature versus nurture, right there. Uh, yeah, I think so, big yeah. time. Uh, and he was also a musician, my grandfather. Wow. And so anyway, um, huh. so <laughs> read these books. I start reading these books. I go, damn, like this stuff is so fascinating. It's absolutely <laughs> relevant. Yeah. Because this this stuff is about what's going on in culture, Western yeah. culture now. Yeah what's that about yeah. right the political economy and its different threats <laughs> this stuff is like really fascinating <laughs> and uh and so she goes you know what i think you should come with me to this class it's a communication studies class because you, you can do this thing called auditing yeah and it's like if you ask the professor <laughs> you can you can be allowed to sit in a class yeah and without paying nice and uh and so she said i'll ask him and and if he says yes you can come <laughs> and he said yes I went to this class, communication studies class. It was being taught by a guy named Jeff Stahl, okay. uh, who is teaching now in, in, in Auckland, New Zealand. Nice. Um, he, was a, he was a PhD student at the time at McGill mm. in the program that we went <laughs> going to. And he was the best lecturer I, I had ever seen because I had seen exactly zero. Yeah. Uh, but he's also the best I've ever seen. Wow. Through my, the rest of my... He became a guy post for you again. You yeah. see, it's Absolutely. funny when I was reading your thesis, it's a little bit what I, I'm sure it evokes different feelings for people. But one of the things that's funny because, uh, what attracted me to your website, the, the technique cycling.com website, I I'm plugging it in. I have to plug it in because it, it was an inspiration for me. So okay, I really see. enjoyed it. I think yeah. you're a terrific blogger. Uh, I know you probably write most of this stuff, I'm guessing, on all, the website. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but I noticed, like, you became a guidepost for me. Uh, I I used to be, used to do the road cycling thing all the time. Yeah. And then I dabbled in gravel. Yeah. And I'm like, and everything is new. So I'm like, oh, there's this, like, cycling group thing. Yeah. <laughs> me being relational. I love groups. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, there's this cycling group thing. Okay. And then I speak to a few of my friends. They're all road cyclists. Yeah. And I'm like, but this these guys, like, they ride for real, like gravel and stuff. They're riding, they do snort ro roads and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, wow. And then in the pandemic, I decided that I would do graveling. Okay. So, because yeah. I shifted, I used to work. Uh, five days a week out of an hospital, not a Montfort hospital. So yeah. in person, in the personality clinic. So yeah. very intense all the time. Yeah. And then I end up like working from home. They're all saying to us, you work from home now. You do therapy, but you're going to do it from home. But I had already decided I, I would leave. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so I'll, I'm going to try, like, I can't commute anymore. I, I used to do winter commuting. Like I said goodbye to my car three, four years ago. Yeah. 
And I said, I'm only going to bike from now on. That's what I'm going to do. And mine is a health issue because my father passed away when I was a baby. Yeah. So high cholesterol, stuff like that. So I'm 35. I'm having children. And we talked about it earlier. And I, I don't want to sort of do the intergenerational thing. So my goal became that I want to outlive my dad. Mm -hmm. So he was 35. So I outlived him. Now my goal is to outlive my granddad, which I did this year. He was 41 when he passed away. Oh, so man. it's genetics and health. But then I, 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 I stumble on you guys and I'm like, wow, this master, she writes really well. Like that's really good stuff. And then I'm, I'm starting to read your blogs. And then I notice and it's like, okay, so I get to explore Ottawa differently now. So instead of going to the hospital, I went for low Mm -hmm. so do mm -hmm. the, the the dam yeah the pogan dam yeah. so then i notice all the roots that you guys all developed together so i'm like man this is an inspiration for me i need to start doing this more so guideposts like seeing other humans and you use yeah. social media really well like there's one question i wanted to ask you what in a way that i know you talk about photography a lot mm -hmm. in your master's thesis mm -hmm. it's like the, the center of it that's it how did that influence you in your blogging and in the way you present your cycling to people? Phenomenal question, I think. Um, I'll try to go back a couple steps. Yeah, is that okay? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I really like it. Um, when I was in the period of dirt jumping a lot, uh, yeah. this was also a phase uh, where I rode what we would call street uh, yeah. street it was effectively the mountain bike version of what yeah. bmx yeah. Uh, urban um i would say like i was i was good at this um it wasn't something that tons of people were doing no. here but like there was an exposure from the uk and, and a dirt magazine around yeah. that um and i was out of down like i didn't talk about it previously but i i was in downhill racing for a number of years oh, yeah so i transitioned from uh, so that early period there, I got into cross-country racing. Uh, I got into downhill when back when we used to race the same bike uh, a little bit. And then I focused on downhill um, at the end of like the late 90s, wow. right around when I, went, I met my wife, actually. I met her um, uh, at the bike shop I worked at, uh, which is now a Cora's. <laughs> and uh, a, friend, a mutual friend uh, brought her in to meet me and basically set us up. And I oh, was, that's uh, sweet. Yeah, very, very much so. And so she's been, we've been together ever since that period where I was getting into like starting to focus on downhill racing. I did that for a few years and she traveled with me to races and things. Um, and just long story short there, uh, I found I was not the best version of myself at races and I was really stressed out. Mm. Um, there was a lot about it that I didn't handle well, mm -hmm. uh, I guess emotionally. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to kind of just pull out of that yeah and and just go back to just riding bikes because yeah. i love riding bikes and so that's what i did i i just like said i'm done um i had a moment it was another um uh, guidepost or sort of like inflection point okay uh, in my story where i realized in a moment that i did not have what it took to be a pro downhill mm. racer that would get results yeah um i was i was sponsored at that time um 
but I needed to prove myself. Mm. It was pre-social media age. Yeah. And uh, the only sort of, you know, um, indicators of value were results on, on the, the, the page. Yeah. And photos. Yeah. Photos in yes. magazines. Yes. Not really electronic media, but in magazines. Yeah. Uh, photo magazines or because i remember also like photos it, my sponsors they would give me money for not give me money but send me more snowboards for if i was in the newspaper but i had to clip it and send it to them just as a proof so, so prove it type of approach yeah, i remember sure. that prove it um I, I in that period like uh it was again early electronic age i was pretty good at communicating with sponsors, potential sponsors about what I was doing, what I wanted to do and trying to bring some value to, to, yes. to them. What I found was a strong disconnect between you know, communication wise uh, around value where their metric for value was the result sheet and mm -hmm. it was the clippings, right? Yeah. Uh, there was nothing else. Yeah. And so I felt like I had maybe more to bring to the table, especially around product nice. development because yep. I was oriented that way. I saw a lot of problems. I wanted to be part of that design spiral yeah. and part of that loop, but that's not what they were generally looking for. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of stuck in, in, in limbo, yeah. I felt for a period. And when I realized in an instant that I just didn't have the talent, mm. uh, it gave me the opportunity to chart a new path. And that path that. was get off this one yeah. and, and like you're doing something else. Yeah. And that was at Montremblant and Canada Cup. I was uh, training on a practice day and two guys, Chandro, Andrew Chandro and Jake Watson came through the gnarliest section of the course. They were going so fast that I thought to, my, I thought to myself, WTF, <laughs> that's mental. Yeah. And they were chatting. Yeah. Oh my they were chatting. <laughs> and so the thing was, I realized, I realized in that moment, okay, at that speed, if you crash here, uh, death is a, is a distinct possibility. Yeah. Um, and so... I had been progressively working on my skill, like mm. putting in all the hours I possibly could to improve and get faster and get stronger. Yeah. I used to be a lot bigger than I am with muscle and everything else. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know what else I could do. All I could see was risk. Yeah. I could take more risk. Yeah. If I took more risk and went breakless into that section the way they did and I crashed, I'm going to ruin, I can ruin my life. Yes. And I decided sure. in that moment, like, The difference between them and me is actually talent. Mm -hmm. They are processing what's going on through mm -hmm. their brains at a different speed than I am. Yeah. So they're, they're working with a different tool set. It's yeah. not different in kind, but it's different in degree anyway. Yeah. And so I realized I in that moment, there's nothing you can do to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. I, well, I, I don't know what that is. And anyway. mm -hmm. if I don't know what it is, there might as well be nothing. Yeah. Um, so I said, I'm out. Yeah. This is it. This is my last, this is my last race that I, that I'm going to care about. Wow. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to try to do my best performance. And it was downhill was always about a peak performance for yes. me. Uh, it's not really about racing against anybody. It's doing the best you can possibly do. Yeah. And the best I could ever possibly do in elite was like a 16th. Wow. At a significant decent Which was size good race. too. Which but... was good too. I'm, I'm, I mean, I was faster than most people. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what I was, I wasn't laying down race runs that I was actually happy with mm. generally it mm. happened very rarely mm. uh, so in that moment I decided I'm out and I need to allow myself to get onto a different track in my life oh. so that was important so then I got into the other more skill-based riding yeah. you could say yeah it's not time it's not competition nope. based 
So that street, that's dirt jumping. Yeah. It involved a lot of uh, work with shovels for dirt yeah. jumping and taking the bus to Orleans and these kinds of things. <laughs> yes. um, I was totally. proficient and good at that, mm. but that was an aesthetic discipline. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so... Like freestyling, is, whichever sport it is, it's always aesthetic. I, we were talking so earlier. I, I would put the posters on my wall. My wall would be plastered. It was yeah. not a white part on, on that wall. Yeah. But it's all aesthetics. Yeah. But the imagery is important. Yes. So now we're going to get to the crux of your question. Um, in, in dirt jumping, uh, you know, I had friends who would spend time hanging out, essentially, maybe doing taking some video, photos, mm. right? And... We're talking now, we're in the domain of movie magic. Yeah. Right? So yeah. when I look at totally. uh, Dirt Magazine in, in 2001, uh, the cover photo is an amazing, probably dirt jumping photo. Yeah. And I'm like, I can do that. Like, I mean, I do mm -hmm. stuff. I do that yeah. basically or, or similar to it. It wasn't nearly as technical as, his, as it is now, like a big X up. Oh, or yeah. Like I did that. Um, and so, you know. In if I wanted to continue to progress and, you know, go in like a race four cross and do these different things and be sponsored, because the objective still was to be sponsored and supported. Yeah. yeah. Like to have this that's be it. kind of like kind of part of a, a job. Yeah. yeah. That's job security in, yeah. in those kinds of sports. And the continuity. Like yeah. I wanted, I want to be able to do this. And I, I never made much money working. I was making a crap wage mm -hmm. working in a bike shop, actually. Yeah. Like I never had money. Um, so... I was like, okay, this needs to be done so that it looks right. Like I had a sense of personal style yeah. and people, will, my kids will definitely say I don't have any, but like <laughs> of course. at 20 or 21, like, yes, like yes, I, had, you do. I had, I had style as a, as a writer. Uh, and then there were people who I thought didn't, and I would, you know, try to mm -hmm. capture this in video and film and, you know, uh, parlay like ultimately the idea is parlay that and you know like we get a cover or whatever it is yeah. right and the problem was i realized in real time what am i doing here is it for the aesthetic output or is it for the feeling of doing the thing yeah what do i actually care about what was your answer on this it was the latter it was i actually care about what it feels like to do this mm -hmm. i don't actually care about the the phot photographic record yeah like it's It's part of the the the, the whole the whole um, dynamic here, but I'm not really that comfortable with it. Yeah, actually, I'm not really that com comfortable with being able to depict my quality as a bike rider with a still image mm. that where maybe like I didn't even land that thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's just superficial. Yeah, I had an issue with superficial versus material. Yep. I didn't want to be on the superficial end of the spectrum. Yeah, makes total sense. Uh, morally. Mm -hmm. Like that was just against... Again, the ethics me. are coming back. That's right. So I had an ethical perspective on this. I didn't feel comfortable with that. I didn't feel comfortable with being in that mindset. Uh, wow. Ad nauseum, right? And so I ended up virtually like close to breaking my neck or jumping when... Uh, a fork on my bike uh, snapped off oh, and yeah. landed properly, but it was the last straw for that particular fork. My wife was there. She was videotaping. Oh. She saw me slide down this jump on the front of my head, and I got taken away in the ambulance. Wow. She said to me, Matt, please, can you just agree that you will be done with dirt jumping? Like your dirt jumping life is over. And I said, yes. Wow. I said, yes, it's over. Okay. So a big shift again. Yeah, yeah. She wow. was there. It was very hard on her to see that. 
and uh and i totally uh empathize yeah like that was horrible so what, what type of empathy was it for you there if you that was, respect that that was emotional like it was for sure yeah. like i could she was really scared and 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 torn up about it yeah and i didn't want to her to have to experience that again yeah. uh so i said yeah i'm out and so that transformed you know like what i was doing then was more uh, like technical street and stuff especially when mm -hmm. we lived in montreal yeah uh, lower scale technical lower risk like i'm not going to kill myself doing what i'm doing yeah uh so the bikes kind of changed in that and uh, and just mountain biking uh you know for fun no <laughs> competition generally uh and as we move through time and we had our daughter uh, so you know uh, this is why we're still living in montreal uh i got into riding my road bike more yeah pulling my daughter around Oh, wow. What an offering by Matt. Um, I am cutting it out at this moment in time because I felt it was a great moment and a great transition to illustrate how much um, there's a richness of knowledge and just vulnerability by Matt in sharing his story and how he came about uh, initially, what influenced him uh, in order to make the decision to transition um, and we will get to the point as to where he is today in regards to cycling as well. Um, you guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm just so humbled and grateful for all of you listening to us. And we will have part two um, of the prequel to a collaboration next week. Uh, if you guys enjoy, just uh, give us encouragement on Instagram or on any social media you will come across with the Overcome Cafe, Tales of Mind, Body, and Relationships podcast. Um, hit us up at Cyclosomatic. This is for Matt Search. Cyclosomatic on Instagram and the same area on Instagram, LPLandry underscore Overcome Cafe. This is our handles on Instagram. So feel free to go and peruse if you want to thank you so much guys we appreciate each and every one of you listening and just yeah hit us up give us comments give us encouragement we will be glad to be here next week see you guys soon thank you Bye -bye.